Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom, our, our, our first uh, postseason podcast here, Ben, uh, episode seven overall. Uh, I'm Kyle Meinke uh, from MLive. And I'm Ben Raven. So, Ben, it's kind of an interesting season, right, for the Lions. I mean, you look at the outset. In fact, I looked it up. I, my, I picked the Lions to win three games this year. You picked the Lions to win three games this year. We kind of nailed that one. Didn't quite pick the tie, but, you know, close enough, I suppose. And I, I think we all saw the writing on the wall with this team. It wasn't talented enough. It wasn't good enough. It was the first year of a rebuild. Um, you know, they really stripped this thing down, kind of setting it up for 2022 and beyond. And that's exactly how it played out. Uh, we nailed the win total. And I think if on the outside looking in, you would have said all this would have transpired. You would say, you know, that it, this would be, there would be some tough feelings about the Lions right now. And yet, I mean, you look around the country, the national media, and even locally, the, the, the local reaction, even fans, like this team is like one of the trendiest teams in the <laughs> Certainly one of the most like well thought of three win teams that I can remember in covering the NFL. I mean, they, you know, the, the start was tough. They finished three and three down the stretch while playing, God, I think like 10 rookies, starting 10 rookies at, at some point or another. Um, Jared Goff plays well. Um, you know, they, they knock out the, the Cardinals, the fifth seed in the NFC. Um, obviously, beat the Green Bay Packers on the final day of the season. They beat Minnesota. Minnesota finishes, you know, one game out of the playoffs. Um, you know, I think there's some real momentum around this organization heading into the uh, end of the offseason. It's been a really just an interesting thing to see from a, a three win team that, you know, I mean, is dead last in the league. Yeah, no. And it's uh, it's just everything that you want to see happen with a rebuild in year one happened this year. I mean, shoot, at about the week nine, week 10 mark, I was feeling like a homer with that three win prediction because I was looking pretty ugly. But just the way they finished the way they continue to improve, the way they just continue to fight and fight and just, I mean, I know that's like hyperbole, but these guys, I mean, the effort shown through the end of this season really was remarkable. And that just speaks to the job that Dan Campbell and his staff did with this young group of guys and just kind of, you could see the vision kind of come to fruition, kind of come to light when Dan Campbell took over play calling with Ben Johnson, calling calling the shots and the passing attack. And you, you just really saw the direction that this thing was heading. It's like kind of, like you see the quarterback play better. You see the undrafted rookies play better. You see the drafted rookies. I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown's finish to the season. All the things that you want to see on paper happen in a rebuild happened. 
And it's nice to see the national people paying attention because usually it's pretty hard to just kick and spit on the Lions and say, see you next year. So it's nice to see that the rebuild is getting the love that it does deserve because those optimistic feelings are legit. Absolutely. Um, as we head here into the, the off season, um, you know, the, the Dungeon of Doom podcast will continue to roll on. We've got a pretty good episode next week in, in, in the works, uh, a couple of special guests, uh, you know, uh, we can announce it at a later time, but, um, you know, I'll be at the, uh, the, you know, the senior bowl where the Lions will be coaching. Um, I think that's that, that week starts around January 31st, February 1st, right in that range. So we'll be, I'll, I'll be down there and we'll be able, um, following that. We'll have some more content from that. So we'll, you know, the, the draft process is not that far away, Ben, and we'll be there for it. Um, both here at M live and, and on the, on the podcast for now, you know, just this week, Ben, uh, you know, we spoke with, uh, Dan Campbell on Monday, um, we spoke for almost a half hour um, at, on Tuesday with Brad Holmes. Uh, and it was a pretty interesting, I thought, you know, half hour with uh, the top dog here in, in Detroit, breaking down a lot of the moves and a lot of things that transpired. And so, I, you know, I, I think, you know, we couldn't get Brad for the, the podcast, but um, maybe the next best, best thing we can, we can break down his press conference here. And we've got a production team on, you know, cutting up some of the, the most memorable moments and comments from Brad Holmes. And we're going to walk out, walk through it here on the podcast and just uh, offer our takes. So uh, I guess, first of all, here, Ben, um, you know, the, the, obviously the big thing about uh, year one was establishing the, the, the foundation and the culture of the team. And I think they've done that very well. That's why people are so high on a, on a team that won three games. The big question is, what is year two? I mean, they, they, I think they met expectations, exceeded expectations in many ways for year one with the culture building. But what is year two? Obviously, the expectations are going up. So Brad Holmes was asked about that this week, and, and here are his comments. Well, you know, uh, this is going to be the player acquisition phase, you know, and uh, like I said, we're going to start, you know, we're going to coach the senior bowl. And like I was saying today, we're already started. Like, we, we, we started, we're so, like, Things that we started in February last year, we were able to start, you know, at the beginning of the fall this year, you know, just kind of getting ready for for draft and free agency. Okay, Ben, your uh, your thoughts on on that, um, your, your two-player acquisition. Yeah, the Lions, they're heading into the draft with more picks. They're heading into free agency with more cap space. The NFL cap space is expected to rise. That's going to help a team like the Lions that are projected to have something like $40 million in cap space going in. I mean, they're going to have the money to go out there and kind of compete with some of the, if they want to compete with some of the top free agents on the market at those positions they spoke about. Now, while Brad didn't really sell into what they have to sell this year, the Lions do have more to sell in year two heading into this offseason. I mean, the foundation has been laid, like you said. People know what head coach Dan Campbell looks like. People saw what this team looked like for 17 games. You know, they saw how the, the young guys got chances. They saw what happened with a guy like Charles Harris, a former first round pick. I mean, they're all a lot. They saw what happened with Tracy Walker. There are a lot of things to sell for this team. And it's just, I mean, he mentioned strengths at positions, offensive line, defensive line, but kind of hinted that there's a need on the perimeter on both sides of the ball here. And I think that means they're going to look for some wide receivers, some cornerbacks and safeties. And that's where they should be spending some of that money in free agency. But yeah, more picks, more money, more space. That's what that means. And they're going to be out there and they've got something to sell. I got two, two big thoughts on, on, on this component. One is the draft where there was obviously a lot of good results uh, in Brett Holmes's first effort Two, uh, I would say premier rookie starters, guys who are upper tier uh, at their respective positions and Panay Sewell and Amon Ross and Brown, you got three, 
you know, full-time starters overall with Ali McNeil. You got two more starters in undrafted free agency and not just two starters, but two guys who started at, at cornerback and Jerry Jacobs and AJ Parker, you know, cornerback is a tough position to play for rookies. I've had a lot of guys tell me over the years that it's the toughest position for rookies outside of quarterback. And to see two guys come in who weren't even drafted and, you know, Parker was pretty competent from day one. And Jacobs, you know, he needed, he needed a little more time to mature, but by the end of, you know, his time out there, I, you know, he's one of the best undrafted guys in the whole league. And I think that speaks really well to Brad Holmes's ability to not only find talent, but talent that fits what they want to do here. And of course, that's good stuff. But looking forward, they have been so many more draft picks and so much more capital going forward. Now, number two overall pick. Um, they're going to have two first round picks overall, three of the first 34 picks overall, plus they're going to get at least three compensatory picks in addition to the nine they're already sitting on. So 12 picks overall. And one of those comp picks should be in the third round, all of which just means, I mean, that like it's, I mean, they, they, they have so many more opportunities to find good players, so many more opportunities than last year. And if they were able to do as much as they did last year, I am pretty excited and intrigued to see what the approach is this year, not to have more bullets in the chamber. The second point I wanted to make on this acquisition stuff, Ben, is, you know, um, free agency, right? It's a huge component of, of roster building, especially down the road and in terms of the, of the rebuild. And I'm not sure if that means, you know, year two or year three for these guys, but certainly we're going to see the Lions picking, you know, picking it up in, in free agency this year. Um, they handed out a bunch of one-year contracts uh, uh, last year in the first year of the rebuild. The only uh, outlier of that was Jamal Williams. And that was a two-year deal. That was pretty reasonable culture fit and everything else. So that was the only exception. Everyone else was one-year deals to, to guys who were in the bargain bin for, you know, injury reasons or, uh, you know, culture reasons or first round bust reasons in Charles Harris's case and so on. Did some, did, did some really good stuff again there, found some really good values, guys like Charles Harris and Cleve Raymond who really contributed to this team. I, I think you're going to look to see more money being splashed around in year two. Um, as you said, Ben, I agree with you. It'll be a lot in the perimeter. I think they need some help with the depth and the talent there. Um, and we've talked about that before, but I guess I'm just really intrigued to see what the Dan Campbell effect becomes in free agency. You know, having covered every day of the Matt Patricia years, you know, it, 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 you know, we, we don't have to rehash the mess there. I think everyone knows at this point what he did to the locker room and how much guys hated playing for him and, and the mess in the meeting rooms and just mother effing everyone and, and all this stuff that was going on and running good players like Darius Saleh out of town and Quandre Diggs out of town. And, and you saw, Ben, the celebration from players and former players when Patricia and Bob Quinn were fired the public celebration of their firings. Like you just don't see that even with really bad coaches. You saw it this week with Joe Judge, like I, like Joe Judge was fired this week. And I don't, I mean, maybe I just didn't see it, but I don't see anyone out there celebrating uh, his firing in New York. And you did see, the, see that with Patricia, you know, and, and like, that's a big reason why they went after a guy like Dan Campbell, who is so well regarded throughout the league uh, for maintaining and building relationships and being fun to play for and being charismatic and caring for his players. And Ben, you were there every day with me this year covering this team, that the, the way these players talk so genuinely and from the heart about how much they love playing for Dan Campbell, how much they respect him um, and his staff. Uh, Aaron Glenn, especially a defensive coordinator. And, and you saw the fight from this team down the stretch. There's a lot of teams that fold and, and the Lions didn't. And I guess I just say all this to, to, to say, I, th I think the evidence is extraordinary at this point that Dan Campbell is a big hit. And so, whereas the Lions really did struggle with 
Patricia for a lot of reasons. It was kind of a self-fulfilling cycle because once they started to suck and players didn't want to play here, word gets around the league about that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it made it more difficult for the Lions to go find players in free agency. And the guys they did find, the Trey Flowers of the world, the Justin Coleman's of the world, and the Desmond Jufants of the world, the guys they did go get, they had to massively overpay for, massively. $90 million for Trey Flowers. I mean, Desmond Trufant got, I think it was $20 million for two years. Like, they're giving tons of money. Justin Coleman was the highest paid nickel in the league. Like, he was okay, but he was definitely not that kind of player, and they paid him like that kind of player. And I, I just think going forward, I, I really think Dan Campbell will become a selling point. Um, there's a lot of unknowns last year, and I think that curbed what they were able to do. But I think this year in free agency, I really think you're going to see the Lions be more of a player, not only because they have the money to spend, but I think that there's building credibility around the league. But what Dan Campbell is, what this program is about and I'm really encouraged and I you know I I think you're going to see some major steps forward this year Ben and if they were to win this year or come you know about 500 or whatever and you see massive growths going forward I I I think next year uh, with the you know the the, the credibility and the wins and so forth coming uh, I do think Detroit can become more of a destination spot for free agency yeah, absolutely. And kind of like you alluded to NFL players, they talk to each other and like the stuff that we saw from these players, that was genuine. I mean, that was genuine positivity about their coaches. That was genuine love and care and appreciation of their coaches. And I mean, you can look at a game tape from 2019 and look at a game tape from this year, and you can tell the difference between players who want to play for their coach and players who don't really give a crap or not. And to your point with the last regime, yeah, they had to overpay for those guys. They were overpaying guys that usually came from that Patriots tree too. So you needed a connection and you needed to overpay. And it's just like, I think we're venturing into a new world here because I mean, I'm bought into what these players are selling and they're saying they're bought into Dan Campbell. And I mean, I have no reason not to believe it. It showed on the field. It showed in the media rooms. It showed in zoom rooms. It's it's showed on social media. They love playing for that guy. I think if you want to just boil it down to one specific example, I think Tracy Walker is a a great example. Um, This guy played really well early in in his career. He had some major differences with the coaching staff. He comes back from a big second year in Detroit reports a training camp and they're like, Hey, by the way, you're moving from free safety, uh, free safety to strong safety. And by the way, yeah, a couple of weeks later, by the way, you're going to play behind Will Harris. And, you know, there was just so much yo-yoing with Tracy Walker. He, he didn't fit the new role very well. And he had a good attitude, especially publicly. He played the good soldier. I, he, he really like held back his words, I would say with how he was actually feeling. But I think, by the end, you know, it was apparent that he had major differences with the coaching staff. His, his play reflected it. He was not playing well. Um, he talked to us the week of the, of the season finale, and he vowed to be better. He was clearly frustrated, but he was also resolved to be better in, in, in 2021. New staff comes in, and Tracy reports with camp, and he's back at this free safety position and played really well this year. He was not a star or anything, wasn't a pro bowler, but he played really well despite a lot of chaos around him. I think the secondary was gutted more than any other position in Detroit this year by injury and COVID and attrition and everything else. And he started, I think it was uh, 15 games, if I'm not mistaken, played well, um, had a career high in tackles, had the interception in the finale in the final 21 seconds of the season to, to, to seal it, playing to the finish line, you know, and playing well. And, and he goes out there in a press conference and, and says, I love my coaches. I love playing for Dan Campbell. I love playing for Aaron Glenn. I love playing for Aubrey Pleasant. These guys made me better. Uh, they believed in me. They respected me. I respected them. 
I'm paraphrasing here, but th- this is all stuff Tracy Walker said this week that he obviously wasn't feeling before. His game took huge leaps. He had fun playing the game. He got better with the coaches. These are the kinds of things that free agents are looking for. Of course, they want money, and of course, they want playing time, and those are huge variables that factor into the equation as well. But guys also, they, they know the toxic situations around the league, and guys will go into those situations to be given enough money or enough you know, a promise of playing time or, or a promise of winning. Um, but it's hard to do, and especially you know when you're a team like the Lions who have never really won and, and, and guys around the league don't really want to come to Detroit. Um, but when you're on the upswing like this and guys love playing for a staff and they get better um, and, 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 and they have respect of the coaching staff and respect for the coaching staff, those things make huge differences. And we saw it in Tracy Walker. And I don't know if that means Tracy's coming back next year or not, but clearly, the, you know, I think clearly Detroit will be in that conversation. And I think the way Tracy feels um, and the way he got better this year uh, can be a microcosm for the greater trends going on in Detroit and, and making it more attractive for free agents to come this year, uh, to, to come to, to the Lions. No, absolutely. And I think Tracy Walker is the perfect just kind of example, like you said, of what this coaching staff accomplished this year. Just, I mean, at one point in 2019, he looked like a potential building block of that defense. And then he goes through the downswing in 2020, ends the season on a high note, NFC Defensive Player of the Week. One note about he's not a ball hawking safety like they wanted him to be this year. That that interception was his first since week one of 2019. So that's it's just going to be curious to see because the thing about a rebuild is you want to keep the guys that have grown with you. And it's just, they're just at an interesting point here with Tracy Walker heading into this offseason because he's clearly something that fit the scheme fit what the staff is looking for. I mean, Brad Holmes said it. Aaron Glenn said he's absolutely wants a player like that back. So it's just like you said, that's just a perfect encapsulation of what this coaching staff can sell this offseason to their in-house options to the out-of-house options. So, so um, you know, Brad Holmes did talk about the future of Tracy Walker and, and, and another free agent, uh, Charles Harris. I, I asked him about those guys. I think there's 15, 16 uh, uh, players who are eligible to become unrestricted free agents this year. And that's a huge component of free agency too, right? It's it's deciding not only who to go sign, but who to bring back, who is worth poning up for. So I, I had asked about those guys because those are two of the biggest names that, that can hit undrafted free agency. Uh, here is what Brad Holmes had to say about that. Those guys did a great job for us, you know, um, and th- th- those guys had stuff to prove. Now, you know, Trace had already been with us, obviously, but, you know, a new, uh, new scheme, a new regime, new coaching staff, and he responded well. He, he, he really did, and I, I, I thought he played good football for us, um, and he, he really bought into everything that, that, that we were doing. So was really happy for him. And then, you know, you mentioned the Charles Harris, you know, a guy who I, it's arguably it's easy to – he's had his best year, um, you know, in, in my opinion. And a guy that, you know, was just in a better place, um, you know, just speaking with him, he just loved it here. And um, so we'll just see where it, where, where it goes. But those guys were fits. They fit where we're about. Um, you know, and those, those, those guys played well for us. So as you can see, Ben, you know, they're leaving their options open. I think we'll get more going forward uh, on those situations. But clearly, those are two guys that played much better football this year. Uh, Walker bouncing back in a big way with the new regime and the new coaching staff, uh, really bring out the best parts of his game. And, you know, just having a better plan for him, I think, frankly, than the, the last regime. Um, and then Charles Harris, who, you know, first round pick in Miami, I don't know. Like it just never worked down there. He never even really came close to working. He was a, a bust in every sense of the word. Um, 
uh, went to Atlanta for last year. It was pretty nondescript down there. Comes to Detroit, signed a one-year prove-it deal, $1.75 million, which is, you know, I mean, that's bottom of the barrel for a, a pass rusher. That's a huge money position. And because of injuries to Trey Flowers and, and Romeo Aquara, uh, Charles Harris steps into a starting role and prospers, man. He, he played the best football of his career, seven and a half sacks, which was more than he had in all of his other seasons combined. Ten quarterback hits was by far their most most consistent pass rusher. That's not to say he was elite. And I don't think, you know, Charles Harris bringing him back would satisfy their needs at that position, Ben. Clearly he fits well with this staff. Aaron Glenn has a good eye for him and, and, and what he can do. He fits well into the scheme. Uh, we talked Charles Harris a few weeks ago on the podcast and he said, you know, that he was leaving his options open, but that he loved Detroit and his time here and the scheme here. And it checks all the boxes he's looking for. So it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Lions do with those guys, because I think both are headed for a pay raise, especially Charles Harris, but both can fit into um, what Detroit's doing here in the long term, as, as Brad Holmes said. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, Charles Harris, I mean, like you said, he was on the dungeon a couple of weeks ago, said this coaching staff, uh, <laughs> I like saying that uh, just it. absolutely fit uh, everything that he was looking for and it's just I think with Charles Harris just as a 26 year old former first round pick he finally flashed that ceiling that potential that got him drafted and picked 22 in 2017 so it's just going to be curious to see how competitive his market is because I think this coaching staff Red Holmes definitely I mean it sounds like they would definitely like to have him back but there are a lot of equations that go into that I mean they got the they got picked two in the draft there's obviously two edge rushers at the top of the prospect list on the board there They've got answers with Trey Flowers they got to figure out, another edge defender in the room. But, I mean, when you look at guys like Tracy Walker and Charles Harris, they they worked in this system. They worked under this staff. And, I mean, they didn't just work. I mean, Charles Harris had, like, 31, 32 more pressures than anybody else on the team. I mean, this pass rush doesn't exist without him in the final eight, nine, ten weeks of the season. And, I mean, with guys like that that click that well, I mean, they need to be a priority. And I think they will be a priority. I just look – Charles Harris, I mean, he's going from a one-year deal, like you said, 1.75. I mean, he might push 30 million on this open market just for the type of season he had. And that's those are just going to be the interesting equations there because I think they would love to have a guy like that in the rotation on the edge. It's just going to be there's kind of some other pressing questions in that room too, with some solutions down the road that you can kind of see on the horizon too. Let's get to um I, I agree with you. Uh, let's get to um I, I think you know the biggest question facing uh, this organization, which is what to do a quarterback. There are so many things to resolve. There, there's just nothing bigger ever in the NFL than than what to do at the quarterback position. Uh, it was one year ago this week where Matthew Stafford, you know, marched into Allen Park um, and and had a, a meeting with ownership with with, with uh, Chila Ford Hamp and and Rod Wood, the team president, um, and and had a tearful uh, meeting with those guys where he requested a trade and. That, that was one year ago this week. And um, a lot has that obviously happened since um, a lot. I think we're all about 10 years older since that day. But, um, you know, the Lions still have questions uh, at that position. And, and Goff has made, Jerry Goff has made, uh, you know, made this, the situation interesting. And so let's hear what, had, what, what Brad Holmes had to say real quickly on, on Jared Goff. Jared, I, you know, I can't say enough about his resiliency. And I've, I've been talking about it at length. You guys have heard me talk about it all the time about just – like the mental toughness and the physical toughness and his resiliency. And you know, we talk about will, talk about grit. That's why he fit from the very get-go. And then the success he had late, it all came from that because he had some rough patches. He had some adversity that he had to, he had to fight through. And, you know, uh, I, I give him all the credit in the world that 
that he 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 stayed the course, you know, and and you know some some tweaks were made, some changes were made, some let's call it reinforcements, and players uh, emerged, and uh, but you know he he played really good football. So yeah, Ben, I I think nothing surprising there, and I I, I think he speaks the truth. Of, uh, you know, there's no bigger fan than of Jared Goff than Brad Holmes. I, I would expect him to say what he said, but um, but it's also based on a lot of truth. He he was really bad in the first uh, half of the season. I mean, there was, he was a bottom five quarterback, no matter how you wanted to measure it. Uh, most conservative quarterback in the league was a turnover machine. Things weren't working. Shut out five times in the first eight games, which left the Lions playing from behind, took their, their, their biggest weapon on offense, the running game, out of all those games. Um, and in the second half of the year, Ben, we saw uh, Jared Goff under under Dan Campbell's play calling really flourish. And, and there was other variables in there as well. The, the addition of Josh Reynolds as a deep threat, um, the, the promotion of Ben Johnson to um, basically the de facto um, passing game coordinator uh, schemed up a lot of the creative stuff that we saw you know, with reverses and, and receiver passes and, and so forth, um, obviously has a good eye for that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of variables at play, but all of it put together led to, I think, us seeing more of the real Jared Goff. And I'll be the first one to say, Ben, I think I put too much of the Lions' first half offensive struggles on Jared Goff. He was bad in training camp, um, certainly not what you would expect to see. He was uh, bad in the first half of the season. There's no disputing that, but there's a lot of reasons for it as well. You know, with the, you know, the just, I mean, never had his first team offensive line out there, not a lot of weapons at wide receiver, uh, you know, just a, a really conservative to a fault offensive game plan. And in the second half of the year, a lot of those things were resolved in a lot of ways and allowed us to see maybe a, a clearer picture of Jared Goff. And the numbers are astounding. 11 touchdown passes in, in his final five starts, you know, with uh, Dan Campbell as the play caller, just two interceptions, uh, a quarterback rating of, I think, 107.3 or in that ballpark. Um, number, like, you know, just the third highest rated quarterback in the league in this final five starts and the lions go three and two in those starts. And they won three of the last four with a bare bones threadbare kind of roster that was out there across the board. And I, it just makes me curious, Ben. I, I, I think, it, I don't know what Jared Goff's future is in Detroit, but I do think he's bought this team time. He's proved capable of, of, of competent quarterback play. And I, I think with some of the pieces that will be coming in this year via free agency in the draft, I think there's a lot, a lot of reasons to feel hopeful about Jared Goff. I'm curious, Ben, what you think about his future. Do you think he, is he to you still just this like bridge quarterback that, that they'll get by with until they, they get the franchise guy in place? Or do you think that he can be uh, something more than that? I, I'm still in the bridge camp just because, as I've said, don't need to hit that nail. And I think what we saw at the end of the season was Jared Goff's ceiling, and they just need to ask if that is what they want out of their franchise quarterback. But I mean, you, I mean, I, he showed us, he showed the front office that there is a path to competitiveness with him under center. And I mean, I can't deny that. I was right there with you, bashing on Goff. I mean, he still ended the season as the most conservative quarterback in the league. That's how bad it was in the first eight weeks. I mean, just what we saw from training camp through those first eight weeks was just absolutely brutal. And it's like, it was so bad that it's kind of hard to erase from memory at point. But I mean, to your point, I mean, this team went a week or two before the regular season started Tyrell Williams and Brashad Pierman were this team's projected top two wideouts. So it's like, maybe myself included put way too much of the blame on Jared Goff, because I mean, the stuff that Brad Holmes talked about that we just heard the mental toughness, the physical toughness and the resiliency. I mean, that's what you want out of a starting quarterback on a rebuilding team with not much around him. I mean, it's easy to, you can put yourselves in the shoes of those young guys playing around him and look up to him and see, wow, 
this guy could have bent down and folded after week eight or nine, <laughs> but he didn't. He finished the season strong. I mean, the thing to me, he, I still view him as a bridge, but he did. He showed me a path to competitiveness with him under center. I mean, we've said it a couple of times, a vertical threat, maybe another tight end, Hawkinson healthy, that fresh offensive line blocking away from him. I mean, there's he's a really accurate short to medium passer. He's not that game breaker. He's not the game changer that you want as a franchise quarterback. But uh, yeah, he's still a bridge guy to me until they find their franchise. But I mean, there is a path to competitiveness with him next year, I think, too. I mostly agree. You know, I, I like he like the ultimate goal, right, is to win a Super Bowl. And I just don't think Jared Goff is that guy. I know he made a Super Bowl with LA, but he had like a super team around him. And I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Lions have not had <laughs> a super team in a while. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't think he's that guy. And I do think that an upgrade will eventually come and they have a lot of, you know, capital to make it happen, whether it's this year or in a future year. I, I, I do believe that was the original plan was to let Jared Goff spin his wheels a little bit and see what he can do, kind of stabilize the Lions through some pretty significant sweeping uh, turnover with the roster and obviously some very choppy waters. And, and he did prove event, you know, in the end to be able to you know be capable of that. Um, but I just think because he was able to do that, prove it as a, you know, a capable quarterback through some choppy waters. I don't think that changes the paradigm to me of what he can be or become. And I, I, I don't, I don't think that changes for me. The, what does change is, you know, the reality of the quarterback class that's coming in. And I think that's something that wasn't accounted for or expected, certainly, when the Lions were hatching their plans at quarterback. I, I really believe their plan was to build out this roster as much as possible in year one, see what's what with Jared Goff, and then go get your quarterback. And they have four first-round picks over the next two years to make it happen. Either go get a guy or move up the board for a guy or what have you. Um, but the quarterback class just isn't what people were expecting. There might not be a guy taking in the top 10 a lot of these guys their ceilings are as jared goff types where they're like game managers or, or guys who can you know be fine uh, as nfl starters and i don't think you have to burn a, a first round pick on a guy that might have a ceiling of the guy you already have um, especially when golf is playing well um so Goff's emergence is a huge boon for this team and this rebuild because it's giving them an out through some difficult quarterback questions but at some point, I still think the Lions needed, um, you know, an upgrade at that position, a competition at that position. Uh, and, you know, it, I just don't see any clear answers uh, in the draft this year, certainly. Um, but, you know, he, he proved more than capable this year. And you go out there in free agency, as the Lions have said, in this player acquisition phase in year two, you go buy him a receiver, maybe buy him a receiver and draft him a receiver. Um, you got Amon Ross St. Brown coming back. You got TJ Hawkinson coming back, DJ, uh, DeAndre Swift coming back. Uh, what's going on already with the offensive line in the running game. I mean, you have, I think Ben, this team is closer than people think, even offensively. I mean, the, the defense largely played, you know, much better than you would expected. The offense is not that far away. They just need a couple of playmakers and they are right there. And when you look at the chaos around the NFC North, uh, where two teams, you know, Chicago and, and Minnesota have fired their coaches and general managers. Aaron Rodgers might be out in, in Green Bay after it's all said and done this year. Um, you got seven games next year for the Lions against first year coaches. Seven. That's seven. damn near half the schedule. You know, like Ben, there's some opportunities next year. And I'm like, I don't think they're there. They are, listen, they are not a title contender next year. The, they, they have too much work to do with the roster. But there are there is an opening for competitiveness, and I think the Lions are closer to seizing that opportunity than you think. And I think Goff can be capable of doing that. You just got to get him some more help. 
No, absolutely. And I mean, they're closer to winning with golf than a rookie next year. And I think they're closer to winning in 2023 with golf than a rookie. And like you said, the bears, the Vikings, I mean, we don't know what sort of total roster upheaval they're going to go through. And if Aaron Rodgers leaves green Bay, I mean, you're looking at a potential like eight and nine, nine and eight division winner next year. Somebody's going to have to win that thing. And I just think, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't believe I was even talking about the Lions in that conversation at year two of this rebuild. Like you said, I don't think they're anywhere near title contention, but they're the realistic possibility that's that the NFC that the NFC North is super bad next year is very, very possible. And just like you said, I, I think if Goff finished the season the way he started it, we might be forcing some more drafty quarterback names. But right now it's kind of like he looks like the best path to this rebuild, at least through the next year, for sure, 100%. I think that the Lions are going to be uh, as this offseason plays out, I think the Lions are going to be the trendiest pick to go from last to, to first. Uh, I'm just calling my shot right now. Yep. Um, they obviously have a big question elsewhere on the offense to to consider, and it correlates tightly to to the golf stuff. But it's what's going on with offensive coordinator position. So let's start with let's start with Brad Holmes's comments on that. That was a a, a big decision that Dan had to make, and I'll never forget when he made it. You know, you know he. He came in my office and, you know, said, look, Brad, I really think this is where we got to go, you know, and, and I, I fully supported it, you know, 1,000%. One, one, and, um, and again, I, I knew that that was hard for him to do. But, you know, as a, as a leader, you have to make, you know, some, some, some tough decisions. And what the cool thing was is it was cool to see Dan grow as a play caller, you know, as, as the season went on. You know, he kind of he made a – kind of made a big move a tough decision you know but you know he he did what was best for the team you know at, at that time but after he did what's best for the team then now he's like now he's good at it now he's, he keeps growing and I thought that was really 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 cool to see but it wasn't really like um it, it wasn't any dark times about it you know Dan and I communicate and collaborate on everything so yeah, again, no surprises there. I think uh, it's interesting that, that Dan Campbell did take this to Brad Holmes before you know making the decision. Um, I guess you know as you know they both control the roster and make a lot of the decision, decisions together in this more collaborative kind of approach to the structure of the, of the organization. So makes sense. Uh, it's still kind of interesting. Um, you know, it, Holmes says he's a thousand percent behind the decision, and I can understand why because that offense was a thousand percent terrible in the first half of the year, um, and clearly it wasn't working between Goff and between Goff and Aaron uh, Anthony Lynn, um, and even the running game, which was supposed to be the bread and butter of this team, and it was supposed to be the bread and butter of Lynn's game and experience, and it's even I mean, like he's a former running back. I mean, like him and. Dan Campbell see eye to eye on a lot of stuff and how they want to do offensive football, but it just, it just didn't work. And I do think a lot of it was this really, these really conservative game plans that weren't working that were, you know, leading to a lot of shutouts and very few points in the first half. The Lions have played almost exclusively from behind in the first half of the season, which made them abandon the running game too often and too much. Uh, so th all these things started compounding each other, and that's how you end up 0-8. And, and I can understand why Dan Campbell would take over the play calling. But the thing that really surprised me, Ben, is how well Dan Campbell grew into that position. It wasn't always like that. The, the first game in Pittsburgh was pretty ugly, and the injury to Goff was a big reason for it. Obviously, Goff didn't play the following week in, in Cleveland. So, you know, things are bad that week, but you can understand why. But then when Goff comes back from the injury on Thanksgiving, from that point forward with Jared Goff on the field, that's a pretty damn good offense. I looked it up. They, their, their rushing went up 38%. 
in the second half of the year. Goff's passer rating went from about 85 under Anthony Lynn to about 107.1 or 0.3 under Dan Campbell. And the, 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 the results speak for themselves. And it's, you know, a team that's just not talented enough to do more with it, but the early results are promising. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, who they hire as their next offensive coordinator. And, and, and also if Campbell continues to call the plays, what are your, what are your thoughts on that there, Ben? Yeah, it, it just it, I thought it was interesting, too, that Dan went to Brad before making that call. It just kind of really speaks to the true collaboration going on running this team. And it's just I, I'm kind of with Brad on this one. If Dan wants to call the plays, he should call the plays because he really did grow. And it really looked I mean, he showed growth every single week because those first two weeks, it was like, oh, man, is he going to blame the bad weather every week for running on third and 10, 12 times a game? Just no, he really growed. And it seemed like he. His trust with Goff and whoever was under center kind of grew with his play calling too because they kind of spoke to Anthony Lynn, just something not clicking there, something not clicking. And I think it was obvious that there wasn't a ton of trust in the passing game with Goff under center through the first half of the season. I mean, there were no looks downfield. There was no creativity to try and open things downfield. It's like the Lions were trying to win Big Ten West games 10 to 9 every week when Anthony Lynn was calling the shots. So it's like, It'll be really interesting to see. I think if they hire one of the in-house names for coordinator, Dan Campbell should keep calling the plays, keep that train going. You don't want to, when you've got something going the right direction, you don't want to take a veer off of it just because other people are telling you to do it. I think if he wants to, I mean, I, you just could see his vision. I just think if he wants this thing to keep going the direction he had it going, I think hire a guy you trust to really help you collaborate on calling the plays and getting that passing game and offense together. So it's just, I'd have a hard time going away from Dan calling the shots. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there's pros and cons both ways. And the, the the con to Dan Campbell calling the plays is that his greatest strength as a, as a coach in the NFL is his ability to connect with players, to lead, to inspire. Um, you know, he does it differently than Jim Caldwell, very differently, but they're cut from that kind of cloth where their their greatest strengths are managing the team. It, you know, it's the opposite of Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia knew X's and O's, but he couldn't lead with shit, you know? I mean, he, he just couldn't. And it was never working because of that. But, you know, Dan, Dan Campbell comes in and, and he's a leader of men and we've seen the way guys respond to him. But when you're that hands-on with one part of the game, it takes you away from other parts of the game. If you have to be in every offensive meeting because you're calling the plays and you're designing these game plans and you're spending most of practice with your quarterback and the offense, you're by nature going to spend less time and be less involved with the defense and special teams. And that to me is a, is a con because he, he's just like, his greatest strength is, is, is working with and leading players and that takes him away from that but i agree with you that he should probably continue to call plays or at least will um, it went too well i think down the stretch he had too much rhythm and and uh, everything with jared goff and with the offense and and he had a again a, a better touch for calling plays than i expected he's aggressive by nature um you know, I think the fourth down stuff, you know, setting the record there for fourth down attempts was it happened because they played from behind so much and they had such an outmanned roster and Campbell wanted to give them a shot. But the plan going into the season was to be aggressive anyway. And calling the offensive shots allows you to to, to dictate that tempo uh, more so than 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 if you're not. Um, it went really well. And I think if if Dan Campbell calls the plays, continues to call the plays, which I think he will, I think you'll see Ben Johnson, the tight ends coach, full-time uh, promoted to offensive coordinator. He was the de facto passing game coordinator anyway. And, and guys have really raved about him, um, you know, and, and, and his ability to scheme up some of this stuff. Um, I think if Dan Campbell elects to not call plays, which again, I, I don't think will be the case, but it's still on the table. 
um, at least for the next week or two as he considers his moves, then maybe you could see at that point an outsider candidate um, hired by Detroit as offensive coordinator. Um, Joe Brady is one interesting name I'm just going to throw out there. I haven't heard anything. I'm not speculating. I'm, I'm just saying that there's a connection there that go back to their the, the Saints days. And, and, and Joe Brady, you know, he has, it did not go well for him as the offensive coordinator in, in Carolina. But I think there's also something to be said in the NFL for a guy who's cut his teeth and made some mistakes and learned from them. A lot of times you see guys with their second opportunities uh, you know, vastly improve um you know jim schwartz has turned out to be a pretty damn good uh yeah. defensive coordinator in philadelphia so i think that's where that, that kind of lands with um with the play calling ben let's move on to um one of the biggest players uh in detroit that detroit has to make a decision on that's trey flowers uh, you know the 90 million dollar man from a couple of years ago the highest paid free agent in all of football um in 2019 when the lions wooed him in free agency he was the um, you know, I, I would say the number one free agent that year, and it was a big win for the Lions when they got him. Obviously, it has not worked out. Um, so let's let's cut to um, Brad Holmes's take on this, and I want to get your 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 thoughts on what Brad had to say. Yeah, you know, and Trey, you know, you talking about just the ultimate glue guy. You mean ultimate leader? You just love he, he he's 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 what what we're all about. You know, in terms of grit. And, and, and being being just a football player, um, so it, it was it was unfortunate when he had to deal with what, what he had to deal with. But again, um, you know those discussions are going to be for down the road. So yeah, Ben. I mean, obviously nothing firm to go on there. But when you juxtapose those comments with his praise uh, uh, for the fit of guys like Tracy Walker and, and Charles Harris. And then you ask about Trey Flowers, who's a team leader in this glue guy, but he won't commit to him for 2022. I think that does say a lot, like him not saying a lot is saying a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious your feel on what, you know, what, what, what Brad had to say there. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Brad had 23.6 million reasons not to give a sure answer <laughs> on Trey Flowers for next year. Yeah. Trey, I mean, Trey, I mean, he is the ultimate glue guy. He's a great leader. He's one of the better all-around edge defenders, I'd say, in the league when he's on the field. But he's the fifth highest paid outside linebacker. Ten and a half sacks in three years. He's played 14 games in two years. And the Lions could save $10.4, $10.5 million by cutting him. Trey's great. He is the ultimate glue guy. He's a leader in that room. The guys have raved and ranted about him. I, It's great talking to Trey. He's great on the field, but just... When you're staring down a rebuild for a guy that's missed 14 games in two years with a cap hit of 23.6 million, that's just, I mean, that's approaching quarterback numbers for a guy that doesn't get sacks for a guy that defense or offenses don't have to scheme around. I mean, 10.4, $10.5 million. That goes a long way with a rising cap for a rebuilding team. So it's just, like you said, I think it speaks volumes that he didn't kind of commit in any shape of the form to Trey. So it's just, that's, that's the one big move. I expect them to move on from this off season for sure. What was the, you said it was 23.6 million for the cap hit. Yeah. Yeah. 23.6 million is a lot to play, uh, to pay for glue. <laughs> I, I mean, it is, you know, and, and, and I do not mean that in any way as a, as a derogatory statement toward Trey flowers, because Trey flowers is, is, is a better football player oh, yeah. and better for this team than anyone outside the team appreciates. I think, um, you know, he's, he does so many things well on the field. He's, he's the best edge setter against the run. Um, he's a team leader. He does everything the right way. First guy, you know, last guy, uh, first guy in the building, last guy out kind of stuff. I mean, he, he does, he checks almost all of the boxes you'd want 
and a guy that you want to build your team around. Um, but he does not check the box of, of sacks, of, of pressure, of quarterback hits, and, and lately, even availability. He's been hurt a lot. He's missed a lot of action uh, each of the last two years. Um, you know, the, you know, I think you said about 10, 10 and a half sacks for Trey Flowers since he's signed here. Like the money that he's making is standard money for a premier edge rusher, but he's just not a premier edge rusher. You're like, like he's just not worth the money anymore. He's a good player and a good team leader. Um, but with the numbers where they are, where they are, and you consider what Holmes said or, or, or didn't say, um, as the case may be this week, I, I just think the writing is already on the, the wall that, that barring some drastic pay cut, which could happen if Trey Flowers really wants to stay here. I just don't think Trey Flowers will be in Detroit next year. No, I agreed. Yeah, and it's a 23-2 cap hit in 2022, and then 23-6 the next year, just to clarify that. But yeah, just, I mean, obviously when we're talking about Charles Harris sticking in Detroit, there's not a, I don't think there's a path for Harris to resign here if Trey Flowers is still in the building, and that's just a monetary reason, because like you said, Flowers is better than anybody they're going to bring in at that position. It's just, that money, that money's heavy. And Let's also consider the Lions um, have Romeo Aquara for two more years under contract, and they already invested heavily. This regime already invested heavily in him. Mm-hmm. I, I think Julian Aquara was like a top five most improved player for this team this year, or top 10, certainly. He didn't really do very much of anything for a year, year and a half. And really, I thought I, I thought he showed a ton of promise down the stretch. He's a very intriguing player at that position. Um, you do have Charles Harris to consider and if they bring him back as uh, is possible. And then you add either uh, Aiden Hutchinson in the draft or Kayvon Thibodeau in the draft. I mean, Thibodeau or Hutchinson would be your starter with Romeo Aquara, got Julian Aquara coming off the bench um, and, and whatever else. I mean, you're just at that point, you're not going to pay 20, whatever million in cap hit for a guy like Trey Flowers, who's an underperforming edge rusher. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think we have to beat the, the horse anymore. I just think that the running is already on the wall, that barring a massive pay cut for Trey Flowers, I just think Trey Flowers will be uh, someplace else in 2022. Uh, moving along with 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 Holmes here, um, obviously the draft is a huge component of what they're going to do, and that was the experience of Brad Holmes coming in, ran the Rams drafts for, for nearly a decade. A lot of really good things he did in his first year in Detroit. Um, last year, uh, Panay Sewell, huge hit in the top 10. Uh, Aman Rossian Brown might be the steal of the draft around the entire league. I think there's a lot of people kicking themselves right now that they didn't find that guy. I mean, it's an unbelievable story from pick 112 to literally catching the most passes in the NFL in the final month of the season. Set the franchise rookie records across the board. Um, just a phenomenal season from him. You know, we talked about what the undrafted guys have done. Lee McNeil really came on strong in the second half of the year. Derek Barnes has shown some promise. I mean, really, outside of Levi Anzarika in the second round, who was a disappointment in year one, just a ton of hits. And they didn't, they, they did it without a lot of capital. And next year, Ben, they have a lot of capital. Um, number two overall pick. And you're sitting on nine picks right now, I believe. You're probably going to add three more in the comp pick formula. So they can do some damage. I got a lot of bullets in the chamber. That process will get. I mean, it's already underway. It'll get underway in earnest here in the next couple of weeks as they prepare to coach in the senior bowl. Another really good example uh, for them to, you know, do some evaluations and work hands-on with with some of these best players in the country and especially some some really interesting quarterbacks will be down there. So let's take a listen real, real quick on what Brad Holmes had to say going into the draft and into the senior bowl week. I hope it's a difference maker if it's two, uh, but um, no, we're, we're, we're still going through that process now. Um, you know, again, like, like I was... Like I was telling Kyle, you know, we'll, you know, we'll kind of talk about that later on down in the process, and hopefully we get some more clarity, you know, um, starting as early as after we 
we do the senior bowl. But, you know, um, I do think it is a good draft, though. You know, it is a good draft, you know, at, at they're pretty much all, all positions, really. So um, I think that we'll be in a, in, in a good spot. We'll see when the smoke clears. I hope so, you know. And, no, you know, and it, it's a fair I, – I, I know, know you're going at – it's just, you know, I think every draft is different. It, I mean, it truly is. You know, there's some drafts that are really, really top-heavy. Some drafts are not. You know, some drafts are better to, you know, they're better, more heavy on day two. You know, it's kind of a little bit better there. It's more heavy on the back end, you know. So, um, but, you know, I, I think all that's being being sorted out. Um, you know, our personnel department's uh, doing doing a heck of a job. You know, they they've, I think we've pretty much seen everybody. We have, we have a good bite at it, but obviously what we're about to bark on is going to provide a lot of clarity for those guys. Ben, uh, I'm curious, just your thoughts on the on the draft talk and, um, you know, where Brett Holmes and the Lions stand going into uh, this whole process. He was very talented not to say any prospects' names or give any speci- specifics on anything like that. I mean, obviously he wants a great game-breaking player at the second pick, but like you said, I mean, it, there's a lot more than just that one top pick. I mean, they're looking at a late first rounder, another early second rounder. I mean, right now they're projected to have two third rounders with one normal and one comp. I mean, that is some serious, serious assets going on. And I think coaching the senior bowl, obviously Dan Campbell went through the pros and cons last week, but I mean, they had 106 attendees from that game last year selected in the NFL draft. That's 41% of the players selected. And if they are thinking about getting weird with a quarterback at the end of round one or early round two, I mean, Sam Howell's going to be there. Desmond Ritter's going to be there. Kenny Pickett's going to be there. Malik Willis is going to be there, among others. I mean, the quarterback position at the Senior Bowl is what really sticks out on the roster. So it's like that's going to be the most valuable thing, I think, in the early part of this draft process is getting their hands on one of those quarterbacks, seeing if there's something there to work with, seeing if there's something there that they might want to move up for, move down for, anything like that. I mean, it's just an unbelievable opportunity, and I think it's just going to be a nice week to kind of let the assistant coaches. That's that's the one change that kind of – caught my eye the assistant coaches are going to be running the show with the teams while Dan Campbell is going to be an advisory role I think that's going to allow him to kind of have a grander view of both teams both sides of the prospect so it's just I was really impressed by Brad Holmes maneuvering ability on those questions for sure but just uh yeah a lot of picks a lot of picks and a giant opportunity in early February to look at hundreds of prospects heading for the draft yeah I think at this point the conversation around the number two pick is not that interesting just because I think we all know the two guys there right Uh, you know I mean I mean uh, you know Evan Neal is a pretty good offensive tackle but they're not taking an offensive tackle Uh, Kyle Hamilton is an exceptional safety I just you know I I just think they're going to go you get more value out of an edge rusher premier edge rusher than you do even a premier safety Um, so really it's 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 Thibodeau versus uh, Hutchinson and, and they have the second pick. So it's probably going to end up just being the guy that Jacksonville doesn't take. Um, and that's kind of what the conversation is. And, and, and Holmes didn't really add to it this week, but he did bring up something interesting about how he's found a lot of good players over the years when he was in LA going to the senior bowl. And uh, I did my, uh, my, my research, I did my own research at home. <laughs> no, and I, and it's really interesting, you know, Cooper cup is a pretty interesting example of a success story from the senior bowl, huge monster, career at I think it was what Eastern Eastern Washington is that right one of those places directional Washington U Um, and then he goes into the senior bowl week and has a monster week then he goes to the combine and his pro day and I mean just super slow runs a really bad time I think uh, Holmes even mentioned about how like he just looked really slow on that on the on the Eastern Washington track 
um, you know, and it dropped him. And, um, you know, the, he was there in the third round and uh, Holmes, you know, after all this stuff happened with the slow 40, goes back and watches the tape from the senior bowl, goes and consults his notes and talks to his staff. And they were just so convinced that this guy was a really good, fast NFL player. And they, they looked at some of the advanced uh, analytics kind of stuff from senior bowl week, the chip uh, stuff and realized this guy is plays really fast. And they were convinced they trust their eyes over the stopwatch and, and they made the pick in the, in the third round. And I mean, over the last couple of years, you can't find a more productive receiver than, than Cooper cup. You think the guy almost broke Calvin's record this year for receiving. Um, and he's a focal point of that offense in LA. And um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting success story. The lines have had a few over the years too. Ezekiel Ansa comes to mind from way back when uh, more recently Jonah Jackson came from that game so you know you can find some good players during that week there's gonna be some talent there for sure Aaron Donald uh, was there a few years ago and I think that's when he really blew up from a intriguing defensive tackle at Pitt who was severely undersized at least by you know typical NFL um, you know kind of expectations for that position goes into the senior bowl week and just uh, just steamrolls everybody in front of him I was down there that week and it was really impressive um, and that's kind of when he shot in that conversation to the you know for the top 15 and I know personally Ben there's a lot of guys in Allen Park who liked him just saying <laughs> there's some other guys who are pounding the table for Eric Ebron we we know who we know how that went out but um, I believe it was Ron Prince who was really bounding pounding the table for um, Eric Ebron so that he's the gift that keep you know keeps on giving but anyway, you know, it's like the senior bowl week is a good week for, for guys. And you'll, you'll figure out a lot, you know, a lot more about some of these top prospects and you listed the quarterbacks. And that's pretty interesting to me as the Lions go down there with a full contingent, get a, a chance to work with some of these guys hands-on because, you know, they're not going to pick one at two, but they do have three more picks. You know, they have three picks in total in the first 34 and, uh, you know, the quarterbacks are on the radar. So it'll be really interesting to see um, that play out. Absolutely. And yeah, I remember Brad talking about that last year when we were asking about the combine and stuff like that, talking about play speed and saying how play speed is so much different than 40 yard dash time and your three yard cone or the three cone, whatever, you know, I mean, I just think that exactly. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should go have to run one for messing that up so bad, but <laughs> I just think it really speaks volumes to the guy's scouting ability, being able to spot guys like that from the senior bowl. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff you want to hear everything Kyle just went through. I mean, with nine to 12 picks in this year's draft with a chance to get your hands on hundreds of them down in mobile for a week. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know what, the way Brad Holmes described that whole Cooper cup stuff kind of reminded me of Bob Quinn talking about Tease Tabor. It, it was very similar because Tease Tabor ran like, so Bob Quinn was so high in Tease Tabor's tape. They were watching a lot of Florida tape anyway, because that was the Jared Davis year. He just loved Tease Tabor's game. And then Tease goes to the combine and runs a super slow 40. So then Bob's like, huh, interesting. And, and, and there was some, uh, you know, there obviously a lot of eyes in the NFL were on his pro day and seeing if he'd run better. Nah, he ran worse. And Quinn goes back to the tape. He's like, man, I got to figure out what's going on here. And you, it was basically a battle of kind of like the Cooper cup stuff, a battle of your eyes on the game tape versus the stopwatch. And, and Bob Quinn went with his eyes, which I guess, you know, that was a mistake <laughs> as it often was with, with him. Um, but, you know, again, I, I just think that, 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 that Holmes has proved himself and his team have, they've proved themselves and not just being able to find talent like a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, but a guy who will fit what they want to do. And they, they fit the profile. I mean, they got mean guys who play physically and fit well into the fabric of the team, guys like Panay Sewell and St. Brown and so forth. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of what they're doing. And they, they, they've done it well so far. And I think it really, you know, I might, I, 
my um, expectations are, are high in this team going forward. I think this this rebuild is really there's so many steps Ben they have to jump through before they're competitive and they're competing for anything. But we're a year into this now, and I've seen nothing to dissuade me from the notion that they can't do it. Um, they've given themselves a chance and they, they've proven capable. And with some luck and some some more success, I, you know, this team will be better uh, soon. Yeah, no, I mean, they were knocking. I mean, shoot, they were fighting with teams and knocking good teams with a bag of pebbles towards the end of the season. So it's just like you give this team more talent, you give them more assets and free agency in the draft. I mean, I'm with you. It's like I'm trying to temper my expectations for next season. You obviously have a lot of months to go, but it's just like, You've seen the path. You've seen Brad Holmes draft. Cause like you said, yeah, Panay and Amon Ra, those are the stars of the show. But Aleem McNeil really showed growth. Melifonwu looked pretty good in those last two starts of the season. I mean, these are guys that fit what they're looking for. They're physically impressive athletes. I mean, Melifonwu's got small forward NBA are wingspan. I mean, for sure. And Derek Barnes, I mean, Brad Holmes, you can tell Brad Holmes loves him some Derek Barnes because he was like super defensive of him yesterday. This guy's only been playing linebacker for a year and just kind of speaking to the growth that he showed down the line. And it's just kind of, I was in and out on Barnes as the season went on, but you can kind of see a path to a starting linebacker right there for him, the more he grows with that position. So it's just, yeah, you've seen what he can do with the draft. And now that he's got four five, six more picks this year, I mean, expectations are high optimism are high and it feels and it feels justified that's a wrap for uh what we got here uh, in this episode it's just weird to be breaking out a three-win team in such positive fashion but i think there's a lot to feel good about going forward we'll be back next week with another episode breaking down the season with some interesting minds some interesting lions minds uh we'll see you then until then uh, take care This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.